3: You know, kids want to be promised something. They want to be assured of something, and that's not how it works. I mean, that's not how life works. That's not how athletics work. Play the game hard, get on a good team, respect the game, dress right, be the first one out on the field, be the last one out of the dugout. Those little things, they do matter.
2: This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacore from the Reform Sports Project podcast. Joining me today is Mike Fox, former head baseball coach for the University of North Carolina Tar Heels and the Battling Bishops at North Carolina Wesleyan College. This is an extra special episode for me today as I had the privilege to play for Coach Fox my freshman year at North Carolina Wesleyan back in 1998. Coach and I dig into a host of topics, all pertaining to youth and amateur sports. Things like early sports specialization, the lessons that are learned by kids through youth sport participation, and Coach's take on mental health and how it's impacting athletics today. I'm really tickled. I'm excited. I'm grateful to have my former coach, who I was blessed to play for. He's just recently retired. He's one of the greatest of all time, and I'm just humbled to have him. University of North Carolina, North Carolina Wesleyan, head coach, Hall of Famer, Coach Mike Fox. Coach Fox, thanks so much. Oh,
3: absolutely. Nick, nice to be on. Nice to talk with you.
2: I want to start right here. I know you just retired. You are getting pulled in a million directions. What we're talking about is youth sports and athletic development. And what I want to ask is, I, I know that you've seen a lot of change through your career, but one thing that hasn't changed. And I've interviewed a ton of coaches in all different sports. The culture's changed, but it doesn't seem the demand has changed. And that's the whole multiple sports versus specialization thing. You know, kids at seven, six, eight years old. You know, the minute they swing the bat good or they swim fast, it's like let's stop everything else. Let's go year round. And there's the whole 10,000 hour thing. The quicker we can. Be be good at something, the better odds are to get a scholarship, all these things. But every college coach I talk to says they like kids that play multiple sports, particularly at young ages. So when it comes to kids specializing early versus playing multiple sports, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm on the record as far as what I think, and that is
3: like most of the coaches you're referencing, is that these kids do not need to specialize. They need to be well-rounded. I mean, we all know that repetition in anything over and over and over again, no matter what it is but certainly in sports, is, is not a good thing. And you're right. I think when they see a young man who's talented at one thing, they immediately want to cut off everything else, and that's dangerous. These kids need to play other sports. They need to play year-round. They need to stop one, play another one, use different body parts, use different skill sets. That is going to help them in the long run. I've believe it's going to keep them healthier in the long run, uh, perhaps prevent these injuries that are occurring so young. Um, just all sorts of benefits, different coaches, different aspects, different teammates, just so much value in it.
2: One thing that often comes up is the idea of competition. How important is the willingness to compete? And I mean compete to win because there's so many baseball games being played at times it almost seems like people are just kind of going through the motions. Is that something you look for when you're recruiting like competitive drive, the will to compete?
3: I mean, uh, that might be the biggest factor, besides you know character, um, which obviously has a lot to do with their decision making and those intangibles. But um, you know, I saw it more than more, uh, you know, toward the end of my career that you know kids want to be promised something, they want to be assured of something, and that's not how it works. I mean, that's not how life works. That's not how athletics work. And um, we told many and many a kid, if you are worried about who else is here, if you're worried about how many pitchers, shortstops, second basemen, center fielders we have here, then this might not be the place for you, and I'm sure I'm not the only coach making those statements because we all want kids that come in and want to compete. I mean, competition drives everything. It makes it makes them better. It makes you better. It makes your program better. It makes everything better, and it's a powerful, powerful motivator because competition is about playing time, and we all know what a big motivator that is. So. You're right. I mean, you can only do so much, you know, in, in, a, in a cage and in a weight room, but you got to get out. You got to get out on the field. You got to get out on multiple fields. That's what kids should be doing more of, in my opinion
2: we used to call them when I played we called them cage rats or like a a five o'clock hitter I don't know if you still call that or what like a bp player you know a great practice player and I hear this a lot too you know they talk about over recruiting and I'm thinking to myself like you know or or coach said I had a spot I'm like you know in 1997 when coach long came and saw me play you know at Wesley now we're talking d3 right you know and then I got a call from you and I I swear to, I tell this story all the time coach you called me and I don't think I understood one word you said because I was so used to listening to Yankee my dad said what he says I don't know but I think he likes me I have no idea we'll go, we'll go down and find out but um anyway I, yeah now listen to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> So Coach Long told me, and I think you told me on my trip, like, we have, you know, we have Jeremy Stewart. Forbes had just graduated. Jeremy Stewart can catch. we love to play him somewhere else. But there's a few other guys coming in. So I knew that there was a chance I was going to make the team. But I had a chance to potentially compete to play. And I think from what I gather, that's kind of the way it is now. But it almost seems like, what is up with all these kids leaving? They transfer. Like, all of a sudden, someone else is there. And they leave. Like, what's wrong with waiting your turn as a freshman? I don't understand it. Well, I, th- I mean, I think it's the mentality that you're, you know, that you're seeing, um, you
3: know, all throughout their youth playing days, which is what you're trying to expose, if you will, what you're trying to, to show with this, you know, year-round play and being coddled and being, you know, on the same team and playing every day and, you know, not used to sitting on the bench and watching. So it's really, it's hard. It's hard for these kids, you know, to not play. And it's even harder for them to look in the mirror and themselves why am I not playing and so the grass is you know maybe greener or they're going to have a better opportunity what they don't understand is the next school they're going to they're going to be in the exact same situation because every coach that I've ever met or dealt with is going to put the best players on the field no matter what no matter how they recruited when they were recruited scholarship non-scholarship the last two first round picks of the University of North Carolina were non scholarship players for us, so that's that's not a factor. But you're right; it's a national phenomenon right now. The transfer portal—I don't—I e- can't even go on it. I don't want to go on it. It's depressing. All of us as coaches, and it's easy for us to say, right? But we want these kids to compete. Work hard, and the ones that normally do that that stay in your program, that get to their junior year and get on the field the last couple years after maybe not playing as much the first couple years, man, those kids end up being your best players. They're your best leaders. They got the best work ethic. They got the best attitude, and that just lifts your whole program. The more those kids you can have in your program and on the field as juniors and seniors, I think the better chance you have of, of having a really good club.
2: I go on the record of saying this and I'm going to say it again. I am D3 biased, right? I'm no question about it. I'm biased because I played there, and I think that when I say biased, I mean, like, I can't stand when I hear D1 or bust. Like, if you don't go to a D1, I'm going to just say this word to you, that you suck. That's what people think. Like, ah, anything less than that. I interviewed Coach Gilmore, and this is the clip that got viewed more than any other on Twitter, and he said, he goes, Nick, you know, he's a D2 guy at USC Aiken for years. He's like, I had D2 teams that would beat us. You know, I don't want to play them, you know, certain teams, and there's JUCOs that have as much talent as we do, and I know our Wesleyan teams were good. Now, depth-wise, I get it, but there's something to be said about showing up at and knowing that we were going to win every single day and winning and competing for national championships. Like, what's the D3, D1 experience? Can you talk a little bit about the difference? Like, you won the 1989 national title at North Carolina Wesleyan. Was that any less of a thrill than going to Omaha? Like, what's the difference? Is there one?
3: Oh, there's, I mean, no, there was there was no less of a, a thrill. Not even close. You know, I tell every group of campers that came through North Carolina every summer, all twenty two years, that, you know, there's not all of you can play at this level. And I'm a former division three coach, et cetera, et cetera, kind of use my platform and I'm like, hey, Division Three is not a synonym for third rate. I'm telling you, I coached some players there, some teams there that were sensational. I remember one year before the rules came in, we played eleven Division One teams in one year and went eight and three. So, you know, I, I don't I don't like that term either and I hear that some as well. And I try to downplay that when I talk to all these kids and their parents and the campers. That I don't know where you're going to fit right now. You're young. There's a lot of great programs out there at the Division III level, the Division II level, junior college. You got to find the right fit for you. You know, certainly, where you can get on the field, you can play, you can be happy, get a good degree. So I'm I'm Division III (laughs) biased as well for sure. I mean, that's where I cut my teeth, and that's where I had so much so much fun. Obviously, it was a little simpler back then. But um, I, I I long for those days at times, you know, kids that just play for the love of the game, and there's you know no scholarships, and um, sometimes a little less egos at, at time, and yeah, it's 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 fun. I mean, baseball is baseball. I mean, winning and having fun and developing, and you know, you got teammates for life from North Carolina Wesley, and I'm I'm quite sure uh, I have friends for life there. So. The bottom line, it's all about relationships. Wherever you develop those and play, whatever level that is, it can be great.
2: That's Mike Fox, former head baseball coach for the Tar Heels at the University of North Carolina, as well as the Battling Bishops from North Carolina Wesleyan College. When we return, Coach Fox and I are gonna talk about life lessons that I actually learned playing for him and advice for kids who wanna play sports in college.
0: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury
2: Welcome back to the Reform Sports Project Podcast, where Coach Fox and I left off. We were about to discuss lessons learned on the field, early ranking and recruiting, and his advice for those looking to play sports in college. Coach, this is not scripted and you just like, I feel like I'm putting them on a tee for you. You like segued that perfect. You brought up relationships. That's what I want to get into and I'm going to tell two quick stories and then I'm going to let you roll with it. I learned one of the greatest life lessons from you ever and that is that to be a great leader, everyone, and I learned this when I was a manager in an office in New York and in my professional career, everyone's got to be treated differently and you taught me that my freshman year playing for you. I remember I was very insecure, very very unsure. I felt small, I felt little. I just, I I was nervous, nervous little freshman. And you kept telling me like you're a good player. Do you know how good you are? But then I'd I'd watch Tim Wright. I don't know if I remember Tim. He'd get out of the cage, and you wouldn't be afraid to kind of get on him, and he would get mad and react in a good way, like it motivated him. But if you did that to me, I man, I might have fallen over. I was so nervous at that time. So you would always talk to me differently, and I'll never forget. You put your arm around me one time, and, and you probably don't remember. But do you know how good you are? Like when are you gonna like chill out a little bit? And then one time we're at work study, and then I I'll, you probably don't want me to say this on the air. But I'm gonna say it. I don't care. You're retired. I don't care. I'm going to say it. Um, <laughs> I didn't like working hard at work study. Whatever. I'm still nervous around you. I'm nervous talking to you now because I respect you so much. But you said, Nick, you're going to work hard today? I said, sure, coach. Can I put a dip in while I'm doing this? And you looked at me like, number one, I can't believe you just asked me. And you said, sure, you got some for me? And I was like, oh, my God. And that, those two stories, I talk about – they made me think you were human. If that makes any sense, like it, it, like broke down this wall of nervousness that I had. Was that intentional? Is that something? How did you, kn- <laughs> how did you know you got to treat people differently? Like, is that something you learned along the way and and used throughout your life, or what?
3: Well, you, you do have to learn as you as you go. I mean, um, fortunately for you, for you, I had a few classes before you. Uh, <laughs> that, you, know, <laughs> you know that I had to I had to learn, and sometimes you have to learn, you know, the hard way. Um, I think it's the biggest challenge of coaching um, these days, and because you're 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 limited with time. You know the rosters are bigger. You uh, don't spend as much time, let's say, with the pitchers if you're the head coach, or you know the hitters if you're the pitching coach. And it's something you really have to work. You have to work hard at it, and because uh, every every kid every every player is different different backgrounds you have to find out as fast as you can like what what makes them tick and what buttons to push and um your window of getting the best out of them is is short and you can't take a year and just let them just sort of flounder or you've missed out on an opera you know on an opportunity and um yeah i mean that's why every every freshman that comes into our program you know in the summer i spend i don't know probably an hour and a half to two hours talking to each one of them individually and we don't talk at all about baseball i'll give you an example like uh, you know who's uh, who's your role model um you know hobbies uh, what are your three worst habits um questions like that That i get to and i take a lot of notes so i get to pull out of these young kids you know a little bit more than i would otherwise so right out it gives me an opportunity to try to know them as people i'll figure them out on the field being around them enough but um i think the key the key is to learn them you know who they are as people and family and background and because you know you're going to have those challenges with them at times and you're going to have to just talk to them as you know as kids at some point without the baseball and because they're going to struggle in all areas of their life potentially
2: well, mental health is a big topic that's coming up a lot. You know, back in 30, 40 years ago, I'm sure, or 25 years ago, golly, it was like, you know, if you're not tough, like, let's go, let's go pick it up a little bit here. Well, you know, as more and more comes out where, you know, there's athletes that are speaking, I can just think of Ben Gordon, you know, Michael Phelps, these guys are talking about how, you know, these things that under so much pressure, stress, you know, and you can trace a lot of that back to that early specializing, like that early intensity at those young ages, some of those extreme athletes, Olympians and so on, they don't really, experience much of a childhood so there's like trauma and stuff is that something that you had to kind of learn as you go I mean because it's kind of a new thing is that something you were conscious about like keeping in mind that you know the kids mental well-being along the way
3: yeah it's um I mean it is a it is it's a great topic now and it's one I've I've had to learn and research and you know obviously there's a big difference I, I think the one thing that's frustrated me over the past Few years is you'll hear people talk about mental health, but they'll actually say the word mental illness, and there's a vast um, distinction, you know, between the two. Um, I know from personal experience with one of my children who suffers from a mental illness. That's that's quite different than mental health. When we talk about mental health with athletes, we're talking about um, you know anxiety. We're talking about maybe maybe bits of depression, sadness. Not the clinical type of depression that can be associated with mental illness, um, but those type of things with. Kids having you know too much expectations on them, losing their drive, losing their fun, not wanting to do their sport anymore because there's too many people wanting them to do this and that. And it does become a mental thing uh, much more than a physical one. And fortunately, at Carolina, you have these resources with sports psychologists. And I spent an inordinate amount of time with Juan Jenny Shannon at UNC, who is just outstanding. She helped me greatly. Uh, with several of my players I would go talk to her and and say okay tell me how can I how can I meet this kid where you know basically where his needs are and um, so you know they have to be careful what they can divulge to you of course but um yeah it is extremely important now and there's more and more kids that are unfortunately in that category where their brain if you will just kind of gets in the way of just their joy and their talent and just being able to go out and play the game and have fun like like I feel like I did as a as a kid, you know, in the backyard, and there were no expectations. And these kids that are told they're going to be first round draft picks and they're going to make all this money, you know, when they're when they're fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years
2: old, It's just uh, I cringe when I you know when I hear that with kids because it's extremely un, unfair to them. I think. This is my own opinion based off of all these conversations that I've had. And I I really believe a lot of the issues you can trace back to these young rankings. I mean, individual rankings at like, who's the elite, elite of the elite, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old level? Like, what is God name? Like, what? Like, I just think it's crazy. But it's a chase. To me, I almost look at it like it's like an addiction for parents. Like, their wallets just come out. But they justify it or people, well, kids are getting offered when they're 13, 14. And I sit there and I go, who's getting offered? Like LeBron James' kid? Like there's not that many. Like you got to be a stud to do that. Am I wrong? Like how does that change? Who's in charge of that? Because coach, I'm going to just say this. You might get mad at me and hang up. I don't care. But don't hang up. Please don't. But parents will say to me, college coaches preach multiple sports and all this, but then they offer 14-year-olds. They talk out of both sides of their mouth. What are your thoughts on that whole young age thing, and and how do you think it can be fixed?
3: Well, boy, that's a yeah, you know, that's a topic for uh, about a two-hour <laughs>
2: sure. No, I get it
3: discussion. I mean, just uh, yeah, the early recruiting is um, certainly something, and I'm not gonna not gonna miss. Um, And I saw it throughout my career. I mean, I remember making home visits with, you know, Russ Adams, for example, you know, early in my time at UNC, you know, going to his house and, you know, being a first-round pick and playing, you know, for Toronto. And and he didn't commit until, you know, his senior year. And, you know, honestly, you're almost forced, you're you're forced to offer kids, um, so to speak, because you either with some of them, either you get in the boat if you will, or, you know, or you get left. Now, you know, is that a particular reason to offer a young man? Not particularly, but there are other factors that are, you know, that are involved. Um, maybe he's been to your camp. Maybe he tells you, I want to come to North Carolina, uh, but I've got offers from this school, this school, this school. And you, you're either going to wait or you're not. I mean, it is completely, absolutely, utterly, completely out of control. And you, you just said, the question that everyone would like to have an answer to is how do you get it back under control? Well, I'm not sure you do at this point. The one way coaches have mentioned is as soon as you get a verbal commitment, you sign the young man right then to a national letter of intent and an athletic scholarship agreement, which binds the two parties together. That might slow it down. Cancellation of the season, the pandemic briefly slowed down recruiting, and then all of a sudden it went right back to warp speed, and now it's even worse. Because kids are committing now to schools, and they've never met the coach face-to-face, never been in the stadium, never met the academic counselor. And that takes all the relationship out of recruiting. And I desperately held on or tried to hold on to that relationship part of recruiting, Um, but it almost nearly became impossible. And with early recruiting and early commitments comes all sorts of issues going forward down the road, as we know. That's why you're seeing decommits. That's why you're seeing transfers. That's why you're seeing um, the fallout of kids committing when they're in the ninth grade. And, yes, do we look like we're talking out of both sides of our mouths? I'm sure I do. But, honestly, I don't really care anymore because I'm retired. (laughs) But it's not right. And it's bothered me ever since we started having to do it. Um, The younger coaches are much more equipped, I think, to do it because they sort of grew up in it. I spoke to Hal Baird, the former coach at Auburn, yesterday, and he and I have known each other for a long time, and we talked for about an hour. He's been out of the game a while, and, and guess what topic came up? <laughs> that, right here. You know, early recruiting, and he had the same thoughts, you know, as, as I did about it. So.
2: Tell me this, Coach. A lot of parents want to hear this. Parents and kids, they want to hear, what do they got to do to become college athletes? Like when you were in the game, which was like three weeks ago, what what, what are you looking for? <laughs> yeah, what are you looking for? What should they be focused on? You know, ninth, tenth graders, they want to play. They're not getting offers at 14. These are these are kids like myself or whatever. Sure. What, what are these kids? What should they focus on their
3: parents? Play the game hard, get on a good team, respect the game, dress right, be the first one out on the field, be the last one out of the dugout. Uh, if you go play a travel game at UNC, NC State, East Carolina, pick up the cups in the dugout, those little things, they do matter. And there's still coaches out there, I think a lot of them, who are still paying attention to those things. Your talent's going to take you where it takes you. Um, and if it's good enough, it jumps off the field at Division One coaches, at Division Two coaches. It, they, they, We see that. Talent's the easy part for us to see. It's all the other intangibles. And I cringe when I see these kids. I mean, I've seen, I've seen coaches, travel team coaches, on the field at UNC in shower shoes with no hat. I don't think they have any respect for not only the game, but for being on our field or anyone's field, and I wouldn't recruit them because I would have to completely retrain them if you will just respect the game play hard um you know run out of the box hard just just do those little things and then you'll be noticed i mean somebody will pay attention to you and then your talent will go from there and obviously these decisions that you're making off the field are extremely important what you say your language everybody's listening there's always somebody watching you somebody listening to you so try to keep those things in mind wherever you go
2: coach fox i'm so grateful for your time you're the man i'm just so privileged and honored that you uh willing to spend your time may i love you and i'm grateful for you
3: thank you nick man it's always good to talk with you Um, i admire and respect you for for what you're doing this passion that you have there's changes that need to be made in new sports and uh the only way to make change is with someone like you who just takes the bull by the horn and starts a movement
2: you started a great one That's Mike Fox, former head baseball coach for the Tar Heels at the University of North Carolina, as well as the Battling Bishops from North Carolina Wesleyan College. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacore, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.
1: See Lisa.com for more details.